When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chapter 22 The Last Words of Captain Nemo The panels had closed on this dreadful vision, but light had not returned to the saloon. All was silence and darkness within the Nautilus. At wonderful speed, a hundred feet beneath the water, it was leaving this desolate spot. Whither was it going? To the north or south? Where was the man flying to after such dreadful retaliation? I had returned to my room, where Ned and Conseil had remained silent enough. I felt an insurmountable horror for Captain Nemo. Whatever he had suffered at the hands of these men, he had no right to punish thus. He had made me, if not an accomplice, at least a witness of his vengeance. At eleven, the electric light reappeared. I passed into the saloon. It was deserted. I consulted the different instruments. The Nautilus was flying northward at the rate of 25 miles an hour, now on the surface and now 30 feet below it. On taking the bearings by the chart, I saw that we were passing the mouth of the Manche and that our course was hurrying us towards the northern seas at a frightful speed. That night we had crossed 200 leagues of the Atlantic, the shadows fell, and the sea was covered with darkness until the rising of the moon. I went to my room, but could not sleep. I was troubled with dreadful nightmare. The horrible scene of destruction was continually before my eyes. From that day, who could tell into what part of the North Atlantic Basin the Nautilus would take us? Still with unaccountable speed, still in the midst of these northern fogs. Would it touch at Spitsbergen or on the shores of Nova Zembla? Should we explore those unknown seas, the White Sea, the Sea of Kara, the Gulf of Obi, the archipelago of Lirov, and the unknown coast of Asia? I could not say. I could no longer judge of the time that was passing. The clocks had been stopped on board, it seemed, as in polar countries, that night and day no longer followed their regular course. I felt myself being drawn into that strange region where the foundered imagination of Edgar Poe roamed at will. Like the fabulous Gordon Pym, at every moment I expected to see that veiled human figure of larger proportions than those of any inhabitant of the earth, thrown across the cataract which defends the approach to the pole, I estimated, though perhaps I may be mistaken, I estimated this adventurous course of the Nautilus to have lasted fifteen or twenty days, and I know not how much longer it might have lasted had it not been for the catastrophe which ended this voyage. Of Captain Nemo I saw nothing whatever now, nor of his second. Not a man of the crew was visible for an instant. The Nautilus was almost incessantly under water, when we came to the surface to renew the air, the panels opened and shut mechanically. 
there were no more marks on the planisphere. I knew not where we were, and the Canadian, too, his strength and patience at an end, appeared no more. Conseil could not draw a word from him, and fearing that, in a dreadful fit of madness, he might kill himself, watched him with constant devotion. One morning, what date it was I could not say, I had fallen into a heavy sleep towards the early hours, a sleep both painful and unhealthy, when I suddenly awoke. Ned Land was leaning over me, saying in a low voice, "'We are going to fly.' I sat up. "'When shall we go?' I asked. "'Tonight. All inspection on board the Nautilus seems to have ceased. All appear to be stupefied. You will be ready, sir?' "'Yes. Where are we?' "'In sight of land. I took the reckoning this morning in the fog, twenty miles to the east.' "'What country is it?' "'I do not know, but whatever it is, we will take refuge there.' "'Yes, Ned, yes, we will fly tonight, even if the sea should swallow us up.' "'The sea is bad, the wind violent, but twenty miles in that light boat of the Nautilus does not frighten me. Unknown to the crew, I have been able to procure food and some bottles of water.' "'I will follow you.' "'But,' continued the Canadian, "'if I am surprised, I will defend myself. "'I will force them to kill me. "'We will die together, friend Ned.' "'I had made up my mind to all. "'The Canadian left me. "'I reached the platform on which I could with difficulty "'support myself against the shock of the waves. "'The sky was threatening. "'But as land was in those thick brown shadows, "'we must fly.' I returned to the saloon, fearing and yet hoping to see Captain Nemo, wishing and yet not wishing to see him. What could I have said to him? Could I hide the involuntary horror with which he inspired me? No. It was better that I should not meet him face to face, better to forget him. And yet, how long seemed that day, the last that I should pass in the Nautilus? I remained alone. Ned Land and Conseil avoided speaking for fear of betraying themselves. At six I dined, but I was not hungry. I forced myself to eat, in spite of my disgust, that I might not weaken myself. At half-past six, Ned Land came to my room, saying, "'We shall not see each other again before our departure. "'At ten the moon will not be risen,' We will profit by the darkness. Come to the boat. Conseil and I will wait for you. The Canadian went out without giving me time to answer. Wishing to verify the course of the Nautilus, I went to the saloon. We were running north-northeast at frightful speed, and more than fifty yards deep. I cast a last look on these wonders of nature, on the riches of art heaped up in this museum upon the unrivaled collection destined to perish at the bottom of the sea with him who had formed it. I wished to fix an indelible impression of it in my mind. I remained an hour thus, bathed in the light of that luminous ceiling, and passing in review those treasures shining under their glasses. Then I returned to my room. I dressed myself in strong sea-clothing, I collected my notes, placing them carefully about me. My heart beat loudly. 
I could not check its pulsations. Certainly, my trouble and agitation would have betrayed me to Captain Nemo's eyes. What was he doing at this moment? I listened at the door of his room. I heard steps. Captain Nemo was there. He had not gone to rest. At every moment, I expected to see him appear and ask me why I wished to fly. I was constantly on the alert. My imagination magnified everything. The impression became at last so poignant that I asked myself if it would not be better to go to the captain's room, see him face to face, and brave him with look and gesture. It was the inspiration of a madman. Fortunately, I resisted the desire and stretched myself on my bed to quiet my bodily agitation. My nerves were somewhat calmer, but in my excited brain, I saw over again all my existence on board the Nautilus, every incident, either happy or unfortunate, which had happened since my disappearance from the Abraham Lincoln, the submarine hunt, the Torres Straits, the running ashore, the Coral Cemetery, the passage of Suez, the island of Santorin, the Cretan diver, Atlantis, the iceberg, the South Pole, the imprisonment in the ice, the fight among the polyps, the storm in the Gulf Stream, the Avenger, and the horrible scene of the vessel sunk with all her crew. All these events passed before my eyes like scenes in a drama. Then Captain Nemo seemed to grow enormously, his features to assume superhuman proportions. He was no longer my equal, but a man of the waters, the genie of the sea. It was then half past nine. I held my head between my hands to keep it from bursting. I closed my eyes. I would not think any longer. There was another half hour to wait, another half hour of a nightmare, which might drive me mad. At that moment, I heard the distant strains of the organ, a sad harmony to an undefinable chant, the wail of a soul longing to break these earthly bonds. I listened with every sense, scarcely breathing, plunged like Captain Nemo in that musical ecstasy which was drawing him in spirit to the end of life. Then a sudden thought terrified me. Captain Nemo had left his room. He was in the saloon, which I must cross to fly. There I should meet him for the last time. He would see me, perhaps speak to me. A gesture of his might destroy me. A single word chained me on board. But ten was about to strike. The moment had come for me to leave my room and join my companions. I must not hesitate, even if Captain Nemo himself should rise before me. I opened my door carefully, and even then, as it turned on its hinges, it seemed to me to make a dreadful noise. Perhaps it only existed in my own imagination. I crept along the dark stairs of the Nautilus, stopping at each step to check the beating of my heart. I reached the door of the saloon and opened it gently. It was plunged in profound darkness. The strains of the organ sounded faintly. Captain Nemo was there. He did not see me. In the full light, I do not think he would have noticed me, so entirely he was absorbed in the ecstasy. I crept along the carpet, avoiding the slightest sound which might betray my presence. 
I was at least five minutes reaching the door, at the opposite side, opening into the library. I was going to open it, when a sigh from Captain Nemo nailed me to the spot. I knew that he was rising. I could even see him, for the light from the library came through to the saloon. He came towards me silently, with his arms crossed, gliding like a specter rather than walking. His breast was swelling with sobs, and I heard him murmur these words, the last which ever struck my ear. Almighty God, enough, enough. Was it a confession of remorse which thus escaped from this man's conscience? In desperation, I rushed through the library, mounted the central staircase, and following the upper flight, reached the boat. I crept through the opening, which had already admitted my two companions. "'Let us go! Let us go!' I exclaimed. "'Directly,' replied the Canadian. The orifice in the plates of the Nautilus was first closed, and fastened down by means of a false key, with which Ned Land had provided himself. The opening in the boat was also closed. The Canadian began to loosen the bolts which still held us to the submarine boat. Suddenly a noise was heard. Voices were answering each other loudly. What was the matter? Had they discovered our flight? I felt Ned Land slipping a dagger into my hand. Yes, I murmured. We know how to die. The Canadian had stopped in his work. But one word, many times repeated, a dreadful word, revealed the cause of the agitation spreading on board the Nautilus. It was not we the crew were looking after. The maelstrom, the maelstrom, could a more dreadful word in a more dreadful situation have sounded in our ears. We were then upon the dangerous coast of Norway. Was the Nautilus being drawn into this gulf at the moment our boat was going to leave its sides? We knew that at the tide the pent-up waters between the islands of Faroe and Lofoden rush with irresistible violence, forming a whirlpool from which no vessel ever escapes. From every point of the horizon, enormous waves were meeting, forming a gulf justly called the navel of the ocean, whose power of attraction extends to a distance of twelve miles. There, not only vessels, but whales are sacrificed, as well as white bears from the northern regions. It is thither that the Nautilus, voluntarily or involuntarily, had been run by the captain. It was describing a spiral, the circumference of which was lessening by degrees, and the boat, which was still fastened to its side, was carried along with giddy speed. I felt that sickly giddiness which arises from long-continued whirling around. We were in dread. Our horror was at its height. Circulation had stopped. All nervous influence was annihilated, and we were covered with cold sweat, like a sweat of agony. And what noise around our frail bark! What roarings repeated by the echo miles away! What an uproar was that of the waters broken on the sharp rocks at the bottom, where the hardest bodies are crushed and trees worn away, with all the fur rubbed off, according to the Norwegian phrase. What a situation to be in! We rocked frightfully. The Nautilus defended itself like a human being, 
its steel muscles cracked. Sometimes it seemed to stand upright, and we with it. "'We must hold on,' said Ned, "'and look after the bolts. "'We may still be saved if we stick to the Nautilus.' "'He had not finished the words "'when we heard a crashing noise. "'The bolts gave way, "'and the boat, torn from its groove, "'was hurled like a stone from a sling "'into the midst of the whirlpool. "'My head struck on a piece of iron, "'and with the violent shock I lost all consciousness.' Chapter 23. Conclusion. Thus ends the voyage under the seas. What passed during that night, how the boat escaped from the eddies of the maelstrom, how Ned Land, Conseil and myself, ever came out of the gulf, I cannot tell. But when I returned to consciousness, I was lying in a fisherman's hut on the Lothoden Isles. My two companions, safe and sound, were near me holding my hands, "'we embraced each other heartily. "'At that moment we could not think of returning to France. "'The means of communication between the north of Norway and the south are rare, "'and I am therefore obliged to wait for the steamboat "'running monthly from Cape North. "'And among the worthy people who have so kindly received us, "'I revise my record of these adventures once more. "'Not a fact has been omitted, not a detail exaggerated.' It is a faithful narrative of this incredible expedition in an element inaccessible to man, but to which progress will one day open a road. Shall I be believed? I do not know, and it matters little, after all. What I now affirm is that I have a right to speak of these seas, under which, in less than ten months, I have crossed twenty thousand leagues in that submarine tour of the world, which has revealed... So many wonders. But what has become of the Nautilus? Did it resist the pressure of the maelstrom? Does Captain Nemo still live? And does he still follow under the ocean those frightful retaliations? Or did he stop after the last hecatomb? Will the waves one day carry to him this manuscript containing the history of his life? Shall I ever know the name of this man? Will the missing vessel tell us by its nationality that of Captain Nemo? I hope so. And I also hope that his powerful vessel has conquered the sea at its most terrible gulf, and that the Nautilus has survived where so many other vessels have been lost. If it be so, if Captain Nemo still inhabits the ocean, his adopted country, may hatred be appeased in that savage heart, May the contemplation of so many wonders extinguish forever the spirit of vengeance. May the judge disappear and the philosopher continue the peaceful exploration of the sea. If his destiny be strange, it is also sublime. Have I not understood it myself? Have I not lived ten months of this unnatural life? And to the question asked three thousand years ago, that which is far off and exceeding deep, who can find it out? Two men alone, of all now living, have the right to give an answer. Captain Nemo and myself. The End Phoebe Reads a Mystery is produced by Kara Ehlenfeld and Susanna Robertson. We'll be back 
in a week with a new book. Phoebe Reads a Mystery is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.